Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain and we are on day 2211 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing our series of messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week seven of a nine-week series titled, What Does God Want? This series reveals that God desires us to be part of His family as image bearers. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Appreciate everyone being here again today as we continue our series this week. Just have to check which one of my prompts are closest to me. Last week, we finished the story narrative of the overview of the Bible, answering this question that we've asked these last six weeks. What does God want? And the answer we discovered over these six weeks is that God wants you. He wants every person who ever lived. In other words, God wanted a human family. God wants you as co-workers to take care of the creation that he has made specifically for you. God wants you to know who you are and why your life has value to him. He loves you and desires that you also love him in return. So we're going to switch our focus now on what is our part is required to be part of God's forever family and how we show that change in our lives, that transformation in our lives back to him. And the answer to these two questions is, which I spoke about last week, believing loyalty. And this week we'll explore the believing aspect of it. And then the following two weeks we'll finish up our series with the loyalty aspect. We invested nearly a year in the study of the Gospel of John, the Gospel, the good news according to John. But today we're going to give an overall snapshot of that good news. A lot of it will be familiar to you, saying, yes, I know that. But do we really grasp what is that good news? It's simple, yet very profound. What is the Gospel? What is that good news? Now, it may sound odd to ask this question in this juncture of our messages. We've just invested six weeks walking through the story of the entire Bible. It was a fast journey. The story of how God wants us in his family. And we join his family by believing in the gospel, in that good news. Now, I've discovered, though, that many people who attend church don't fully understand the gospel. They can't really articulate what the gospel is. And others can express it but they often struggle with the simplicity of the gospel. They suffer inside over genuinely believing that the gospel is all that's necessary for everlasting life. Now, some of you might wonder what I'm talking about. And there's a good chance as we go throughout the message today that you'll come to understand the perspective I'm looking at. You'll either see yourself or someone else that you know within the scenario. And we'll start out by defining the word gospel. Then I'll ask some questions along the way that's important in order to consider and get clarity of that. We also need to talk about what the gospel isn't. As we get to that part of the conversation, you'll see what I mean and why some struggle with the whole concept of the simplicity of the gospel. So first of all, what is the gospel? Well, it's relatively easy to define the term, what gospel means. The biblical word gospel refers to that message of salvation. How are we saved? 
And the English word for gospel is a translation of a Greek word. And the New Testament was written in the original language in Greek. And it refers to a reward to someone who has brought good news. And hence, we often hear the term, and I used it all throughout the Gospel of John. The term gospel is equated to good news. The good news about the message of salvation. And indeed, it is good news. Good news, read about it. Let's think about what that might be. What it might feel like to learn something. And I suppose just most of us understand the basic concepts of the gospel. It's nice to know that we can define the term, but we haven't said anything about what the content of that good news is. The message of salvation. We've explained the word gospel meaning good news, but not what the gospel truly is. So let's talk about what that gospel is. What is the content of the gospel offer of salvation to us? What are the details of that good news? And why is it good news? Now, the term gospel or good news appears almost 100 times in the New Testament. So we ought to be able to figure out exactly what it is. The Apostle Paul probably talks about the gospel message more than any other New Testament writer. And if you look at your bulletin insert on the side, it says, what does God want? The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, so follow along as I read. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I pass on to you what is most important and what, I have also, what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Now, Paul also defines it even further in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. He says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle that sent out to preach the good news. God promises good news long ago through the prophets in the Holy Scripture. The good news is about his son. The earthly life, he was born to the, in the King David's family line, and he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. As we continue on your bulletin insert, the content of the gospel, that good news emerges clearly in this, these passages. Here are the elements of the good news. God sent his son. He was born in the line of David. As a man, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who was buried, and who rose from the dead. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That's the entirety of the message. So simple. You, can't, you say, it can't be that simple. And on to that, I add a couple other things that happened after Christ rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and took his place at the right hand of God. And by doing so, he sent down his Holy Spirit that indwells everyone who accepts Christ as their Savior. These items are the content of the good news. And let me describe them here again in light of our bigger picture of what we've covered the last six weeks. 
The Son of Man, or Son of God, became a man. He suffered and died on the cross so that our sins would not be held against us and we would be permitted in God's family. He also rose from the dead so he could overcome death that would plague us if we don't. So we can be with his Father, our Father, the one and only true God forever, to have everlasting life. All we have to do is to believe this simple message. The Son of God became man. He suffered on the cross, and he died to overcome death. Let's probe that a little bit more. This is the good news, but why is it good? Well, there's lots of reasons. And it's good because our salvation doesn't depend on our own performance. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. You don't see anything about your amazing track record or your clean rap sheet here. The gospel's content is not about what you've done or what you might do or what you need to do. It has nothing to do with that. It's about what someone else did for you. That's good news for all of us. Because none of us are perfect. None of us please God all the time. Even once we become believers, we're still plagued with that old nature that resides within us until we're fully restored and given our resurrected bodies. None of us is fit to live in God's family, to be called by his name on our own. We have to be made acceptable to God. The content of the gospel tells us how this happens. Notice that Paul described his ministry as telling the people the good news as bringing about an obedience of faith so that they will believe and obey, bringing glory to his name. He wanted those who had heard the message to hold fast to that message of salvation, to what he said. And how do we obey the gospel? Do we get baptized, give money, behave well, don't be a jerk, help the poor? Well, all those are nice attributes to have and good attributes, but that's not salvation. None of those will allow us to be saved. No, God wants obedience of faith. To obey the gospel is by believing it. The simple gospel is listed in your bulletin insert. God sent his son who was born in the line of David as a man, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who was buried, and who rose from the dead. That's it. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Did you notice that Paul didn't say that we have to have obedience of comprehension? We are, may not completely understand the things like why and how Jesus Christ became a man if he's truly God, or how the resurrection could happen, how he could raise himself from the dead as God. And that's okay we don't understand that. Need, initially when we are saved and for many years after maybe, and we may never fully grasp those concepts, but that's okay. God doesn't demand that we figure all this out before we pass the final exam and say, yes, you did good. Now you're in my family. He wants one thing, and that's belief. Understanding why things are not as rational as we want them to be can wait until we gain and mature as believers. The gospel's content is God's offer to forgive you and then give you a permanent place in his family. His offer shows his love and his kindness. The Bible, doesn't, some, or the Bible sometimes uses the word grace instead of the terms that we've been using. Since there is no greater power than God, God wasn't coerced 
into providing a way into his family. No one was twisting his arm because there's no one more powerful than God. He offers you salvation because he wants you. He asks one thing in return in order to be accepted into his family is that you believe that gospel, the good news that we just went over. That is the gospel. But you might ask, well, why do we need the gospel? And I might have already answered this in some ways, in at least in a roundabout way, but in light of my experience, even in Christian circles, I think we need to be sure that we're clear on this. So if you look at your other side of your bulletin insert, why do we need the gospel? Because without it, we have no hope of everlasting life with God. Zero. Zilch. Nada. There's no hope without the gospel. We are estranged from God because of our sins. Believing the gospel is the only remedy. And the Bible describes our predicament in several ways, and I've listed these ways here, but let me read some of the passages that go along with it. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So first of all, in order to need the gospel, you have to understand that you're lost. But our basic nature requires that we have this plan of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passion and desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and this is a, the picture I have there along with it. God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Another reason we need the gospel is because we're utterly helpless. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, when we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We are also, because we wandered from God, as we're told in Ephesians 4.18, we were far off from God, as we're told in Colossians 1.21, and we were actually enemies of God, as we're told in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. And I think you get the picture of why we might need this gospel. And it's not a very pretty picture from our perspective, but when we see it from God's perspective, it's a beautiful picture. The biblical story we walked through these past six weeks explains why we are where we are. We aren't born into God's family. We were outsiders because of our sinful nature. Yet God wants us in this family. Lacking God's nature, we abuse the intelligence and the freedom of choice that he's gave us you know, to get what we want. And in doing so, we often harm others that are in desperate need. We live self-destructive ways. We don't image God when we break his precepts, when we violate others, when we sin against others, when we manipulate and we're otherwise abusing other people. We are, by nature, sinners. We're self-absorbed and rebellious. Even the most compliant person is self-absorbed and rebellious. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us this. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's easy to read this and say, oh, that doesn't sound very good. It sort of makes me angry or depressed. But indeed, 
It needs to do the opposite. The good news of the gospel story is that God knew all about us, all of our foibles, all of our sinful actions, and he loved us anyway. It is also useful for a reason that we might not have occurred to you. It makes the gospel entirely different from any other religion and any other teaching about salvation. Every other religion desires or denies that you have a sin problem, or they say the only way over your sin problem is to do these things, human performance, repeating rituals, saying certain prayers, observing certain holy days, and otherwise being a good Joe or a good Sue. They say, this is how you reach favor with God. But to be clear, to be clear only the gospel is honest about our human situation and human inability to do anything about it. Other religions, in effect, lie to you. They tell you you can fix the problem of your distance from God, or you don't really have a problem to begin with. The gospel is the only truth that tells you that God had to provide a solution, and he did. The gospel is transparently honest. It tells you the truth even when it might hurt you, because that shows true love. Lying isn't about love. Lying is about destruction of yourself and others. But you might say, well, are there any other ways that we can be saved? Is the message of the gospel the only way? And I answered this more or less already, but I want to approach it a little bit differently. God offers forgiveness, salvation, and everlasting life to us for free. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something we deserved. And it cannot be earned or deserved. Belief or faith is required, putting one's trust in God and his promises and the completeness of what Jesus Christ did, saying that is all it's needed. What Christ did for us is the complete package. But believing the gospel means not believing other teachings or other ideas about salvation. The Bible says that there's no other way of salvation. And think about it. Why would God, the Father, send God the Son through Jesus Christ to die a horrible death on the cross if there were any other way that we could be acceptable to Him and be a member of His family? The Son had to become a man. The death had to be overcome. No persons beside Jesus can save. If you look on your front side of your bulletin insert today, I put down there Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And Jesus put it even more bluntly in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So there's no ambiguity here. There's no question, well, if I just do this or that, I will have a path to heaven. It can't be so exclusive. No one becomes a member of God's forever family except through what Jesus has done. You don't need to add to the gospel any other beliefs or any other rituals. It is, and you probably can't read this, but it says exclusive good news. It's the only way. Now, we're in a time in our history where inclusiveness is the big theme. And yes, we should include in those matters other than salvation. We need to be exclusive because there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Believing the gospel means that you have to turn away from those other beliefs, 
That's one aspect the Bible calls repentance. And there's others, but let's go on and we'll see some of that. But first we need to understand what the gospel isn't. Our discussion about the gospel's content makes it clear that the gospel is about what Jesus did and accomplished on our behalf. Therefore, everlasting life and salvation are gifts to those who believe in what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And I got this gift I brought that we put under the tree. And the grandkids always ask, what's in those boxes? But we're given a gift. Do we deserve this gift? Is there anything we do because of our goodness that allows this gift possible? Our culture tries to muddle the clarity it offers self-improvement or vague spirituality as substitutes. More recently, I see online people saying, send out good thoughts to the universe about this. But the biblical description of the gospel defies such things. The gospel and salvation has nothing to do with personal enlightenment or looking within on a journey of self-discovery. The gospel is not exploring ideas from a spiritual smorgasbord. There are intellectual and psychological efforts and activities in our world, but they aren't the gospel. But these are the sort of alternative gospels. They're easy ones to detect and eliminate, saying, yeah, that won't do it as far as our salvation is concerned. Unfortunately, though, a much more difficult hurdle for many people, even within the church, and have believing faith from resting on the simplicity of the gospel, saying, I must do good works, or I must do this or that in order for God to be approved of me. And I suggested earlier that many people struggle the gospel, with the gospel in the church. The reason that they're caught up in this performance trap, and some churches promote this performance trap, where they say, if you're spiritual, you'll do this and that. You'll attend church every time the doors are open, or you'll make sure you pray so many times a day, or do this or that good works. And they say, in order to be spiritual, truly in favor with God, you have to do these things. But there are also sorts of things are alternative gospels. And they're easy ones to detect. And I suggest that you may know, or you may be yourself, may understand and define the term gospel or perhaps even the contents of its meaning, but the idea that believing Jesus did the sum total of everything you need, we struggle with. What's necessary for eternal life, everlasting life, just doesn't seem right. Surely we have to do something in order to gain salvation. Otherwise, how could we ever deserve it? And that's the crux of the whole matter. If you comprehend the Bible's story of the gospel's content, you should immediately grasp that we don't deserve it. We don't deserve what God offers us. It was given to us freely. And that's a struggle for many people. We want to feel like we've earned the good things that we have. We don't want to be a charity case. It feels wrong to get something without working for it, at least a little. Now, I get up every morning and jump on the treadmill and usually run about a 10K each morning. And I use this software program called, um, probably better not hang it there, but called iFit, and every month they have these contests I can participate in, and I just drives me to make sure that I meet the goals so I can receive the reward. This was a special one they had where they actually passed out medals. They usually had the digital reward, but it drives me on 
in order to receive these, to be a fanatic about keeping and fit and exercising just drives me to gain those, the rewards. And even, I have to admit, even in my Bible reading, on Bible.com, each day that you sign in to Bible.com, you get your check mark, how many days in a row that you've done that. Those type of things drive me on because I want to earn something. But God's salvation is not about earning anything. God's guilt distorts our thinking in even more subtle ways. We can become paralyzed about our ability to see the gospel as an unconditional gift. Guilt drives some people to justify that gift by concluding that they deserve something or of someone that they want to do for you. The gift giver at some point, just like we pass out gifts at Christmas, do we do that because we love them or do we want them to feel like they owe us something? Or do we receive gifts because we feel that we've done something good for them and they love us because of that? And we can't convince ourselves of that. We determine sometimes that we deserve those gifts that we give. You can focus on someone else when the goal is to make another person think that you're worthy of their love and attention. But we're not taking ourselves seriously about that. We want them to feel good about us. We legitimately deserve something that we have, but it's about self-centeredness when we get to that point where we say, I've been good to you. You should be good to me. We also want others to feel that way about us. In other words, we want others to give us something because of how we made them feel about us. The gospel strips away and casts aside all of that. It exposes us to, the, to a demanding nakedness of humility. It insists our focus to be entirely on God and what Jesus Christ did for us. Nothing that we can do allows us to have access to God, and that's why it's a hard, hard pill to swallow for many of us. It doesn't allow us to take credit for our good works something we've done. What it comes down to is the gospel cares nothing about what you do, but it cares everything about who you are. You're human. You're the object of God's love from the beginning. If you remember the story of Abraham, God called Abraham. He believed in God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Only after Abraham followed God did God say, circumcision is a sign that you're part of my family already. It wasn't a requirement to become part of his family. It was a sign that he was part of the family. What it comes down to is the gospel cares nothing about that. You're human. You're the object of God's love and plan from the very beginning, from the beginning of creation. None of it requires our performance. It just is. It's God's love to us. Because we're sinners living in a fallen world, we're locked up into thinking that no one would love us, not even God, if he completely knew us inside and out, all of our deep recesses of our mind. And we're fooling ourselves if we don't think we're as bad as someone else, because we all have those deep recesses of our mind that we don't want anyone to know about. Consequently, we can't imagine God loving us since nothing escapes his attention. He knows every thought, every word, every impulse, every deed, every motive behind every deed we complete. 
And that guilt creates within us an enormity of our conditional relationship with God. And it makes the unfiltered, God for us, unfiltered love of God for us and the gospel hard for us to accept at times. From our perspective, it doesn't make sense. How could God love me when I hated him? When I was his enemy, how could he ever love me? And at times I turn my back on him. How can he continue to love me? Because the relationship between us and God is not based on anything that we do. It's all based on what he did through Jesus Christ. At this point, I'm not suggesting people who hear the true gospel and embrace it with all sincerity aren't saved. I think they are. They honestly believe, and because of that belief, they are in the family of God. I'm describing that soul-crushing internal life that all of us continue to struggle with as believers because we're not free from sin yet. That guilt has transformed his love and grace into a gospel of performance-centered, merit-based experiences. We begin to wonder if God still loves us like he did when we accepted Christ as our Savior. We consider our sins that we commit as believers in reason that God, because of that, must be indifferent toward us or uncertain toward us now. We become convinced that we can't measure up to God's expectations and wonder if we really believed hard enough. Or perhaps, did we ever really believe when we thought we did? Those are all doubts from the devil and certainly not from God. The sad truth is that many genuine Christians live tormented, defeated lives, not because of the gospel, but because how they feel through their distorted guilt about the clarity of the gospel. When they read scripture, they only see their sins and failures, and every sermon becomes an indictment to them and shame to any preacher who uses this preaching platform as their primary intention to guilt other people. It's only between God and that person is a relationship. The spectacular wonder of the story sometimes get lost in our guilt and shame. Salvation is not about performance. It never was, never will be, and never can be. We can do nothing to put ourselves in the level that we need to be to be accepted by God, to make ourselves fit for his presence. And that's because we lack God's perfect nature. We are like God created to image him, but by definition, we are less than God. And God knows it. And that's why the solution is Jesus Christ. And what we have in our bulletin insert today is the gospel in the nutshell. It's not about you. And it's absurd to think that you can bridge that gap to fill the void by doing this or not doing that. God never learns anything new about you when you fail, even as a believer. He knew you all along, and he loved you anyway. And he still loves you. Yes, you'll fail at times, but that doesn't change the relationship between you and God in being part of his family. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says it best. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Did you catch that? While we were still sinners. You do not need to perform to some sort of sufficient level in order to prod God into loving you. If you give it some thought, that really is the good news. God never is disappointed with you because he's never had any false expectation about you or about your behavior. He knew you from the beginning of time. God has loved you all along. We will wrap up 
with two of the most famous verses in the Bible, or most well-known, which Sue read, John 3, 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And we can boil it all down into two thoughts. First, salvation, membership into God's family, which we've talked about over the last six weeks, cannot be earned. It can only be received through faith, by believing what God has provided for us. And second, God offers it because he is gracious and loving and not anything that we've done on our own behalf. There's no other reason, nor there can be. God loved us. We believe that he provided for us a means of joining his family, and that's it. So today we've built that foundation of the gospel, that good news, because of God's great love for us. In the next two weeks, we're going to explore discipleship. Next week, we'll look at what is a disciple and then start in on the next part, which is what does a disciple do? Yes, because we are part of God's family now, to show our love back to God, we should obey his precepts. But those precepts, whether we obey them or not, is not a litmus test on whether we remain in his family. Our love for God should prompt us to live in a way that is pleasing to him. We'll fail at it, but that doesn't change God's love for us. We'll stumble, we'll have doubts, fears, guilt, but that doesn't change God's love for us. His love for us was based on providing salvation through Jesus Christ. And I know it's familiar to most of us, but it's something at times we need to just sit and be reminded of. Because we get on this performance trap where we tried to perform in order to look acceptable in God's eyes. We look acceptable in God's eyes because he provided Jesus Christ as our substitute for our salvation. And I've included on the second page of the bulletin at the bottom there, scriptures for next week. There was too many, so I didn't want to read them off. So if you have time this week, go through those verses in preparation for what is the disciple and what does the disciple do. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you provided the only means of salvation. It's an exclusive means. It's a simple message, a simple task that we need just to believe is all, to be a member of your family. Thank you for providing this, Father. Even while we were still sinners, even while we were enemies of you, you provided a way because of your love for us. Let us believe and rejoice, Father. We thank you for the simplicity of the salvation you provided, but it wasn't simple for Christ as he had to become a man. He had to die on the cross and then overcome death in order that we can have the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously. 
Lead with integrity and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.